one of the common complaints that you're going to always hear when people talk about churches, one of the things that people seem to always say is that they don't like churches because the preacher always talks about money. That's all he ever talks about is money. And if anyone ever complains to you and says that, I want you to say to them with confidence, that is not true. Our preacher doesn't only talk about money. He only talks about money in September. That's the only time he does it. So we have made this commitment to talk about money in September, to talk about giving in September. So if you're a guest with us today, we welcome you. And this sermon is not because I saw you come in with your wallets full and then I knew that you had a lot to share. This is just a commitment that we've made that in September we talk about giving. We talk a little bit about money. Jesus certainly talked about money more than that. In fact, if you go back and you look at the Gospels, you look at those first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have 38 parables in all in those Gospels, 38 little stories that Jesus told and He taught from those parables. And out of those 38 parables, 16 of them, 16, nearly half, concern money and possessions and what we should do with our money and possessions. In fact, if you take all four of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at all of the verses, one out of every ten verses in the Gospel is concerning money and possessions. And then if you take the Bible as a whole, if you go all the way back to Genesis and read all the way to Revelation, you see that about 500 verses in the entire Bible, 500 verses are about prayer. We like to talk about prayer. 500 verses talk about prayer. Just under 500 verses talk about faith. And we know that faith is important. But out of the entire Bible, over 2,000 verses are about money and about finances. And it seems to be an important thing for us to talk about. And when we go to the Gospels, we have to realize that, that while we have all of, these, all of these passages, one out of ten verses talking about money, not all of them were instigated by Jesus. You know what I mean? Jesus didn't set it up always. He didn't always bring up the subject. And in the passage we just heard from Mark chapter 14, it is about a woman who brought a gift to Jesus. And that in itself was a beautiful thing. In fact, Jesus says she has done a beautiful thing and it should have been seen as that. But it was the reaction of other people that forced Jesus into responding and into defending this woman. Defending the way she used her money and her possessions. We are in Mark 14 today, verses 3-11. through 11. If you're using those blue Bibles in front of you, it's page 850. Uh, if you've got your iPhone or your Android phone or some kind of device and you have the Version Bible app, you can pull that up and you can go to events and you can find our notes for today in Mark chapter 14. There are a lot of things happening in this story. A lot of things go on in this story and some of them are very cultural. Some of the things that are happening here they are really 2,000 years and half a world away from us, and we have to understand them as cultural. But at the heart of the story is something that we still do and something we need to see, and that is that when we give, we give to Jesus. When we give, we are giving to Jesus. We're calling this sermon series Entrusted because really everything that you have is something you've been entrusted with. You don't own anything on your own God has given us everything we have he has entrusted us with gifts he has entrusted us with our finances with our wealth 
has entrusted us with our talents. He's entrusted us with our ability to earn money and our ability to spend money. What we give Him isn't ours. It is what He has first given to us. So what is the proper way to give back to God? The story begins there in verse 3 of Mark chapter 14. And it says, And while He, that is, while Jesus was at Bethany, and Bethany was a little town just outside of Jerusalem, while He was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as He was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over His head. I think there's three things we have to notice about this woman's gift in this story. Three things we need to notice if we're to understand how we can best give back to God. And the first thing you have to see is that she gave her best. Now before, before you look at this woman's verse or this woman's gift, I want you to notice the setting. I want you to notice where they are. Where are they? Well, verse 3 tells us they're in Bethany, but it tells us they're in the home of Simon the leper. Or probably more properly, Simon the ex-leper. Lepers were unclean. You weren't allowed to touch a leper at all. You would not have shook hands with a leper or embraced a leper. You would have not have touched them at all. If a leper was walking down the street, he would get off to the other side and you would, you would walk down the street and not come anywhere near him. Lepers would wear bells so that people knew that they were approaching. They were untouchable. And so to eat with a leper, to come to a table and say, I trust you, was, was completely out. So the only way this group of good Jews would be at the home of someone called Simon the leper is if he was healed of his leprosy. We're supposed to notice that when we read this story. We're supposed to notice that, and we are supposed to make the leap that Jesus has healed this man. So before we get to this woman giving her best, here we, here we have Simon giving his very best, throwing a dinner party, maybe the first dinner party he has ever thrown. We don't know how long he had been a leper, but this may be the first dinner party he has ever thrown. We have no idea what he served. But I'm guessing it wasn't leftovers. I'm guessing he did not give Jesus his leftovers. I'm guessing Simon did not do to Jesus what people had done to him all those years that he was a leper, and Simon didn't go out and find some moldy bread and just leave it by the side of the road because that's how they took care of lepers. You would take your leftovers, you would take your moldy bread and leave it by the side of the road. The lepers would come and they would gather that up and that was what they would receive. I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume that he gave Jesus his very best. He gave his very best to the one who had healed him. And while they're having dinner, while they're reclined at the table eating, this woman comes in with an alabaster jar, like a a glass jar with a very long neck. She breaks it open and she pours it on Jesus' head. And what she gives is definitely not leftovers. Nard, nard was expensive. It came all the way from from India. And so we're told in verse 5 that this this ointment that she has poured on Jesus' head, this was so expensive, it could have been sold and the money could have been given to the poor. It could have been sold for 300 denarii. Now a denarius, a single denarius, that's what you got for one day's work. Every day you went to work, you got one denarius. So 300 denarii is almost a year's worth of wages. This 
could have been sold for a lot of money. And it's, it's very likely this was a family treasure. This could have been an heirloom. This could have been her inheritance. This could have been something that she was going to save and use to, to, to fund her retirement or fund her, her later years. But she broke the jar. And once it's broke, you can't put it back together. You can't make it work. She broke the jar. In fact, if she had tried to save it, if she had tried to even save a little bit of that nard, it would have spoiled. The flies get to it quickly and it spoils quickly. That's why it has to be kept sealed up. She poured it on Jesus. She gave Him her very best. Whenever I hear this story, I always am reminded of a story that one of my professors told me back in Lincoln, uh, Dr. Marion Henderson. Dr. Henderson was our, was our Greek professor. And... Uh, Every Monday morning, I had to start the day with Greek with Dr. Henderson. That was a lot of fun. But Dr. Henderson would go out on the weekends, and he would preach in little country churches, and just like the professors continue to do. A lot of them go out on weekends and, and speak. And he came back one, one Monday morning, and he said, I had a great time in this little country church. He said, it was a beautiful little country church, and just a few people there. And we got done with the service, and a man stood up. He had a, he had a request. He had an announcement. So this man stood up, and he said, this weekend... Our refrigerator quit. Our refrigerator just, just up and quit. And he said, I don't have enough money to buy a new refrigerator. And he wanted to know if anyone in the congregation had a worm fridge that they could borrow. Now, how many of you know what a worm fridge is? Yeah. How many of you have? Do you have a worm fridge? No? We had a worm fridge. A worm fridge, if you fish... A worm fridge is the fridge that's in your garage that you keep your worms in. You keep your night crawlers and your wax worms and your grubs in the worm fridge. You probably also keep some refreshments in the bottom of that because you, you can't fish without refreshments, right? And so he wanted to know if anyone had a nasty, old, rusty refrigerator in their garage that they would loan them so that they could get by for a little while. And one of the elders stood up in this little country church and he said, I think we can do better than that. And they passed the plate again and they raised enough money to buy this man and his family a brand new refrigerator, something new. You know why? Because Jesus was not going to be glorified with a worm fridge. <laughs> but Jesus could be glorified when we give our very best. The other thing you notice about this story is she didn't just give her very best, she gave her very best to Jesus. Now you and I look at this situation, and again, this is very cultural. We don't always understand it. We look at this story and we think, why on earth would someone do that? Uh, you know, can you imagine you're having dinner with your friends and someone walks in with a bottle of, let's say, Brut. Remember Brut? Yeah, or Aqua Velva. And they break the bottle on the edge of the table and they pour it over your head. Wouldn't that be great? That just doesn't sound like a, like a great thing. But, but this is different. This isn't just perfume or cologne. This was an oil. And remember, this was a very dry climate, very hot climate. And sometimes it would get so hot and dry, your head would really suffer. And so pouring this oil over your head was a nice way to, to, to give yourself a little relief and, and to feel a little better. But that's, it's not just about her intention. That was, that was her intention. But it's not just about her intention with the gift. Jesus... Jesus' response tells us so much more. He says, we read on in, in verse 4. Verse 4 says, There were some there who said to themselves indignantly, Well, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. 
But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. Now, I doubt there was anyone in that room that was more surprised than this woman herself. She had given Jesus her very best. She knew that. But by Jesus' own words, he says she has done something beautiful to me. Her gift had meaning that she didn't even realize. This story takes place in Bethany three days before the crucifixion. And what she couldn't see on that side of the cross is something that we might miss on our side of the cross. And that is that when we give, we are really giving to Jesus. Which is why nothing less than our very best will do. And again, it's about what we've been entrusted with. It's about what God has given us. Ultimately, that's seen in, in His gift of His Son. But does the gift of His Son, is that reflected in what we and what we give back? Is it seen in the way we handle our finances, in the way we handle our time, our energy? Is it seen in the way that we give? Are we giving our best to God or are we giving Him our leftovers? Now, someone in this room, someone in the room where this story took place, we're not told who, but they do make a good point. I want to look again at verses 4 and 5. In fact, we're going to come back to them a couple more times. Verses 4 and 5, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. You know what? They're right. It could have. But Jesus responds and he says in verse 7, for you always have the poor with you and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. And he's right. We still have the poor today. We still have opportunity to give. We still have opportunity to offer support and care for those who desperately need it. And what was true then with Jesus physically in that room is still, here, is still true today here when we know that Jesus is spiritually present in, in our fellowship and present in this room. When we give to Jesus by giving to others, He deserves our very best. Because like this woman in the story, what Jesus declares as true about her is also true of us. When we give, our gift is part of the good news. The gifts we give are part of the good news. Verse 9 again. Jesus says, And truly I, tell, truly I say to you, and I'm going to hold on for a moment, that whenever you read those words, truly I say to you, that is a proclamation. Jesus is making an official proclamation. And you'll see that every now and then. You see it over and over again in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Truly I say to you, this is an official proclamation. He says, Truly I say to you, wherever the Gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And look, here we are today in Kansas, Illinois, and we are fulfilling Jesus' official proclamation. We are fulfilling His pronouncement. We are telling her story. Wherever the Gospel, that is, wherever the good news of who Jesus Christ is and of what He has done, wherever that is preached, her story will be told as well. Her story that she acted out of her love and her devotion to Jesus, that she gave her very best. But I think it's about more than just her gift. 
Because what the story tells us is it isn't just about her gift, it's about our gift as well. The way we give is fundamentally tied to what we believe to be true about Jesus. And just as her gift testifies to the good news of Jesus, our gifts speak. Our gifts testify. Our attitude towards giving speaks volumes about what we treasure most in life. It speaks volumes about whether or not the gospel is central to what we believe, to what we proclaim, central to our convictions, central to our faith. You see, people don't just listen to what we say. They don't just listen to what we say. They hear what's important to us in the things that we do and the things that we don't do, the things that we say, the things that we don't say. They, they can hear what's important to us. And you realize... This passage isn't just about her story. It's not just about her story. Her story isn't the only one we read here, the only one that we tell. There's another story at work in this passage. I want you to look again one more time at at verses 4 and 5. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. And then, after all this talk about money, and after all this talk about giving, after all this talk about the money that could have been given to the poor, what do we read in those last two verses? Verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, I want to say something that is purely speculation. And I'm going to tell you, this is just purely speculation here in this passage. I have no proof. I just have questions. But my question is this. You look at verses 4 and 5, and it says, there were some in that room. It doesn't say Judas, does it? It doesn't mention Judas at all. In fact, I think we're supposed to notice that it doesn't say Judas. And then later, Judas takes it to a whole other level. He takes it to another level and and pushes it even farther. What if Judas wasn't one of those that was grumbling and complaining about this waste of, of this ointment? What if Judas wasn't one of those grumbling, but what if Judas was one of those who was listening and Judas began thinking to himself, you know what, they're right. Someone's got to do something about this. And again, this is, this is pure speculation. I will admit it. But I think we're supposed to notice that. And I think, here's what I know. Here's what I know to be a fact from this text and from life itself. Sometimes we grumble. Sometimes we complain. Sometimes we make snarky comments. And we might make those snarky comments and little whispers in the back of the room with this person or that person. Or we might take those snarky comments and post them on Facebook so everybody can read our snarky comments. And then sometimes someone takes the little things that we grumbled about and does something else with them. What if someone takes our grumbles? What if our grumbles are the fuel that take people to a far darker place than we were willing to go ourselves? What if the things that we are just kind of annoyed about become the fuel that takes someone else 
to a darker place, a place that we never dreamed of going. See, the way I see it, it's like this. You can complain, and you can grumble, and there is a good chance that you will inspire other people to complain and grumble. You complain and grumble, you might even inspire someone to be the greatest complainer that ever lived. You could have that heritage in your complaining. But what if you did something that inspired faith instead? What if you did something that inspired hope? What if your giving was good news? Now we've all been moved by the pictures from Houston in that area over the past week. We have seen amazing images of compassion. We've seen people rushing in to help, to rescue, and to, and to restore. And yet at the same time, because human nature, we've heard a lot of complaining. We've heard a lot of grumbling. And there have been a lot of complaints. This guy didn't open up his church and let people come in. This group over here, they have been strangely silent. They haven't said a thing. And that woman over there, she wore the wrong shoes. You don't wear those kind of shoes to a flood. You you don't show up in those kinds of shoes. And yet, 2,000 years in the past, 2,000 years and, and half a world away, one woman that Mark doesn't even bother telling us her name. Mark doesn't even name her. One woman speaks volumes because in verse 8, what does Jesus say about her? She did what she could. She has done what she could. And Jesus says that and invites us to look at ourselves and say, have we done what we could? Have I done what I could? Have we as a group done what we could? And as what she has done is connected to the Gospel, do we realize that what we do is connected also to the good news? This week, I had a few people ask me, what can we do? What can we do about Houston? We're a long way away from Houston. I don't even know how to get there. What do we do about Houston? And I pointed people over and over again to IDES, the International Disaster Emergency Service. IDES is a mission that we've supported for years at Kansas Christian Church. Back in June, Rick Jett, the director of IDES, was here and he spoke to you about what IDES does. IDES already has boots on the ground in the Houston area. There is support going in IDES is working to get water and other relief supplies into the Houston area. They are working with local churches to bring that in. Now, why do they do that? Why do they work with local churches? Wouldn't it be more efficient if IDES just brought their own people in and brought their own trucks in and and brought all this stuff? IDES is working through local churches because long after this storm is over, there are going to be other storms that don't make the news. There's going to be storms in people's lives. There's going to be heartbreak. There's going to be problems that seem hopeless. And at that moment, those people are going to need friends. They're going to need neighbors. They're going to need to know that there's a church that cares for them. And so, IDES works with local churches to bring in those supplies. They need neighbors. They need churches. They need that as badly as they need the water and the other aid right now. What we've been entrusted with is not just our possessions it's not just about our money we've been entrusted with a message that there is a savior that there is a god who loves you and whatever the storm is that's coming against you whatever seems hopeless there is hope and as sure as we are that jesus lives 
we give and we share and we love and our gifts become a part of the story of His amazing grace. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we must, we must begin our prayer by again seeking Your very best for the people whose lives have been impacted by Hurricane Harvey. Lord, we pray for things that only You can do. Uh, only You can stop the wind and the rain. Only You can still storms. Only You can restore life. But Father, we also must pray about the things that we can do. We can give. We can love. We can reach out. We can encourage and we can help in so many ways. We thank You today for Ides and for others that are meeting those physical and spiritual needs because both of those are essential to life. And I thank You that, that long before this storm came, Ides was an important part of what we do as a church and plans were already in place to meet needs. And Father, for all those times that we are tempted to grumble and complain, remind us that it is impossible to do that and still hear the love of Jesus in us. It is far more important that what we do and what we say be part of Your good news than our own bad attitudes. Don't let us forget that. We love You. We thank You for Your amazing love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.